Have you found it? Interesting, provocative, boring, all the above? Oh, you laughed. It wasn't. That's good. That's good to know. <coughs> what is it to be human? We have answered in a number of different ways over six different Sundays, and we're now at the end. Today's going to be a little bit different. <coughs> Excuse me. Today, I'd like us to learn a little bit more about story, the subject of story. So far, in answering the question, what is it to be human, you can answer it in a number of ways. We have answered it in terms of we are designed. God had a design in, pla in place, a design in mind when he created us, a design to be wrapped up in him, a design to live for him in a certain way, of course. And we, were, um, we are meant to be known. What is it to be human? We are meant to be known. Barry explained what that means, that not only is there a God who knows us, and we, get to, we also get to know him. It's about being known. Uh, we're also, uh, what is it to be human? We are dependent. We are not self-sufficient. Quite often we think we are, don't we? But we are not. We are dependent on each other, and more importantly, we are dependent on God for life. We are dependent on Christ for salvation. We're also responsible. We have a job to do. We have a purpose on this planet, not just looking after the earth and stewarding it, but being on mission, wrapped up in God's mission. Seeing his kingdom advance, his church being built, his family growing. We're part of that. We're also, as we learned last week through uh, John about being bound for freedom, that quite often in the world we live in now, the essence of freedom is about a free-for-all. Anything goes. Nothing to hinder me. Then I'm truly free to decide to do what I want to do. Look at the mess we're in as a result. Actually, being bound for freedom within God's safe boundaries, we find true freedom and true abundant full life that Jesus promises. So today, to finally answer the question, what is it to be human? I'm going to say this. To be, what is it to be human? Is to be part of a story. Part of a story. I'll explain it like this. <coughs> when you meet someone, they can often be one of two types of people. Sometimes you meet someone and uh, three types even. Sometimes they're very closed and you can't get anything out of them and it's a bit awkward and you just try and find an excuse to move on. Or it could be someone who it's just all about them. Just all the attention and the conversation and the topics. and then It's all about that. Or they just do all the talking. Or you get to meet someone who looks you in the eye, who listens, who asks you questions, who takes an interest in you. All of a sudden, you can feel that now. You can feel when you're sitting down with that kind of person, something happens. There's actually a happy hormone gets released. It's called oxytocin. It's a happy hormone that is the hormone of intimacy and bonding. It's particularly expressed in greatest volume when you're in intimate marriage and union and in sex. But actually, we also get it in conversation when people just take an interest in us. A happy hormone gets released. Why? It's because we're being known. We're being valued. Someone has taken an interest in us. And we actually, as someone, we get to journey together. We get to share stories. There's a reason why our biology rises to that. It's about being valued. When we understand our existence, our place in this geography, in this time, what it means to be Steve, when we place our existence in a story or as part of a journey, we suddenly realise there is value, there is purpose, there is direction, there is meaning. And if, as the Bible explains, that is true... Therefore, there's someone behind the scenes. There is an author. 
Man hasn't existed without creating art. Even the earliest man we see there are paintings. Paintings for the eyes. There has been music since day dot, the first time any man could hit a stick against another bit of wood and create a beat or something. There's been music for the ears. There's been painting for the eyes. There's been music for the ears. There's also been stories, oral history. The Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy were oral history, finally written down by Moses, but they'd all been passed on through the generations. He hadn't been present for all those years and witnessed it all himself. It was oral history. It was a passing on of stories. We were learning about generation to generation this morning through Julian. It's about passing on of stories, oral history. I love stories. I love writing them. I write books. I love reading books. I've always got a book in my hand most of the time. Or I love watching films. I love the essence of story. And I think most of us do. Children from the very earliest age, they love a bedtime story, don't they? Part of that is the tangible being close to a parent in bed. But it's not just be close to me and tell me about your day. It's read me a story. There's something about stories that we love. It's about being immersed in a journey, living someone else's life, experiencing something else and having meaning. If you're not into reading fiction, <coughs> some people aren't. Biographies, documentaries, news, they're all stories. There's something about them that catch our attention. Why? Because story gives experience meaning. If I was to tell you about a 14-year-old girl who lives in a house full of physically impaired men who work in the engineering industry, and all she does is they're cleaning and they're cooking, you think, that's a bit odd. Why is she there? Is she a relative? Is she a slave? She's 14 and these are men. This is a bit odd. What's going on here? There's no meaning to it. If I told you her name was Snow White and the men were called Happy, Grumpy and Doc, etc., it gives, it gives meaning to that experience because there's a story. You understand where she's come from, who she is, why she's there, and you understand it's leading somewhere. Does that make sense? It gives context, doesn't it? And so to ask... What is it to be human is asking what is our context? Who are we? Where do we come from? And where are we going? It's about a beginning, a middle, and an end. So if you turn to Hebrews 12 with me, I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, first couple of verses. Therefore, and we'll look at the therefore later, we'll understand why later. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's that last bit of verse 1. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a journey ahead of us. We're on a path. We're on a story. Yeah? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Two things about that phrase, founder and perfecter of our faith. First of all, he's a founder and he's a perfecter. He starts it and he finishes it. He's taking us on a journey. There's an A to B there. But also, that word founder that gets 
translated from the original Greek there. Archigos is the Greek word. It gets translated as founder in this version in the ESV. It also, in other versions, rightly so, gets translated as pioneer. He forges a path. He's not just starting and then leaving something to trickle. He's forging a path for it. He's carving a destination. It can also be translated as captain. It's a steering, it's a direction. He's going on the journey with you. The captain doesn't wave his boat off and tell it where to go. He drives it. But also that word, rightly so, gets translated as author. A story's author. And in fact, Peter, in fact, uses that word in Acts 3, verse 15, where he says, you killed the author of life, the archegos of life, the author of life. Jesus isn't just our founder and our perfecter. He doesn't just start and then he'll catch up with us later and finish it. He is the author, he is the captain, he is the pioneer of our stories, of our faith. He's fashioning a tale. He has fashioned, he is fashioning, and he will continue to fashion until it reaches its culmination. He is fashioning a tale that had an explosive twist at the cross and will, as we see in Revelation, will end in a glorious climax that for those of us who trust him, get wrapped up in. If you don't trust him, if you don't willingly give your life over to him as Lord and Saviour, and the only means to fix all the wrongs in you, the only means of being right with God, then you live eternity separate from him. But there is a glorious climax you can be wrapped up where you can spend eternity with him because of Jesus, the author. And it's in that as his family, we discover we have context. We discover we have a part to play. We discover purpose and hope and security. Because you see, here's the thing. If we allow ourselves, and it's very easily done, if we allow ourselves to be defined by our story, that can end up in a number of consequences. For example, if I'm weak-willed, and I make rubbish choices, and my life is in a mess as a result, I could end up defining myself by my story and looking back and thinking, there's no point even trying. I'll just keep making a mess. Life can't be fixed. There's no point hoping for the best for the future. I can be defined by my story. Or if I've been uh, abused at the hands of others. Some people end up, you can define yourself by your story, you can start believing you are the victim and therefore you always will be. Nothing will change or it's what you deserve. This is why people go back to abusive situations because they believe they deserve it. Or, the other way, you can decide, you can look at your story and define yourself by your story and decide you are the captain of it. You can say, I'm going to make my own destiny. Doesn't matter who I trample on, I will make sure I survive in this world I will make sure I am successful. I will be the master of my destiny. I will be the captain of my soul, as the poem says. You can define yourself by your story, and it's just contained by its own bubble, isolated. And it can go a number of ways. If we do that, if we define ourselves by our story, we become defined by our sin or someone else's. Or we can ensure we are defined by his story. We can ensure we are defined by his story that we are swept into something greater and that the author behind it all is good, working for our best and for his glory. 
So if you remember, we went through Genesis, didn't we, over the past couple of years, on and off. And last autumn, we spent a number of weeks looking at Joseph. Joseph and his amazing colour dressing gown. And this guy, this young lad, his life was fragmented and shattered, wasn't it? From very early on. His brothers betrayed him. He was sold into slavery. He was lied about. He was forgotten, thrown in prison. He suffered extreme pain, hurt, rejection. If he'd allowed himself to be defined by his story, he could very, very easily have become a very bitter person. He could have become someone who was unable to trust others because he'd been hurt and didn't want to expose himself to future hurt. He could have become very selfish, spiky, self-protective. He could have become mute and withdrawn and have nothing to do with people. But he didn't. He did not allow himself to be defined by his story. And the temptation must have been huge. What he did do was allow himself to be defined by God's story. Because in Genesis 50, verse 20, what does he say to his brothers when they're reunited all those years later? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All along, that's what kept him going. He refused to be defined by his own story. He ensured he was defined by God's story. John Calvin is a pastor and theologian from 500 years ago. And he described the universe as the most glorious theatre. And then he went on to describe humanity as the dazzling theatre of God's glory. I love that phrase. Humanity is the dazzling theatre of God's glory. Something is being acted out amongst us. And John Piper, more recently, a, a current American pastor and author, he said he talks about the broken stage in the theatre of God. Even Shakespeare said all the world's a stage and all the men and women are mere players. Even he knew there is something being acted out amongst us. There's a story at work here. It recognises there's a story being acted out. It recognises that we are a part of that. It recognises there is a script, in fact. It recognises there is direction. It recognises, therefore, there is an ending. You see, what we can do on this stage, in this theatre, we are all players in this story. If we recognise we're part of something bigger, we can stumble. We can miss our lines. We can miss our cues. We can stutter and get our lines wrong, innocently. Or we can willfully decide to go off script and try and make the story go our way and say other lines and do other things on stage. But we can actually believe, as the Bible promises us, that the great author behind the scenes will ensure it always gets back on track, with or without us. It will always get back on track. And it will always culminate in this great glorious ending he doesn't just promise he will live up to. So I just ask this. Is God a bit player in your life? Is God an extra? Are you the main protagonist? Do you consider God as a mastermind or an antagonist? He's behind the scenes, 
pulling all the levers like the Wizard of Oz, but he's actually against you. Maybe you feel that. Do you just consider him as a therapist? He's just there to make you feel better. He's there for you to lean on. Which is true, but that's not the be-all and end-all. Or do you consider him as the author? The good author who has fashioned a tale and is fashioning a tale that is great, glorious, better than you can imagine, will always work out for our good and more importantly for his glory. Do you live with that in mind? Or do you treat him as a bit player? One of the phrases that we've tended to use in the past, I've used it in the past innocently, but actually it's quite unhelpful. When you talk about giving your, giving your life to Christ, you can say, I ask Jesus into my heart. Actually, the Bible doesn't talk about asking Jesus into our heart. It talks about him inviting us into his. It's the other way around. It's completely different. Is God a bit player in your life? Are you the main protagonist? Are you playing a part in his great life, in his great story, with him as the great author? Here's the great author, Romans 11.36. This is what he does behind the scenes. Romans 11.36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him and through him. He ordains all things. All things are only possible because of and through him. Even Proverbs, I've scribbled it out, but I'm going to say it now. Proverbs 16.33, they used to cast lots in the day to make decisions. It's a bit like rolling a dice or pulling straws. Proverbs 16.33, yet what does it say? Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So even our actions God uses to his advantage and he ensures the script will always be on track. We're not puppets. We can choose to go off script. But here the author will always make sure his play finishes how it's meant to finish. One more, Acts 17.25. Acts 17.25. This is Paul in Athens. And he says, Nor is he God served by human hands as though he need anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He ordains all things and he provides all things. We see an author and a stage director behind the scenes. And he's there, he's present. You can't always see him when you're looking at the stage. He's just in the wings. But he's behind the scenes making sure everything is on track and will lead to his glory and to our good. So there is an author. If there's an author, what is the story? It's all very well saying, Steve, you're talking about being wrapped up in a bigger story, but what is it? Read your Bible. <laughs> That's the easy answer. Read your Bible. Even in here, there are clues all along. You can see an author at work. Little clues in it, a foreshadowing. We've talked about this before, foreshadowing of... Joseph being a type of Joseph and the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, which we'll be looking at later in this year, is a type of what it means to be saved and what Jesus has done for us. There's foreshadowing. The way he uses names. Barabbas was the, the, um, the criminal who was swapped for Jesus on the cross. 
So do you want, do you want me to carry on killing Barabbas who deserves his death penalty or this Jesus you're presenting to me? That's what Pontius Pilate says. And the crowd go, Barabbas. Do you know what Barabbas' name means? Son of the Father. There's another clue there that the son of a father gets swapped for the son of the father. There's clues. Now, they're just examples. They're just asides. But all the way through this book, the author isn't just writing a story. He's fashioning clues all along. There is a, a, an intelligent, good author behind the scenes. But what is this story? If you ever want to sum up the story of life, of what it means to be here, what God's up to, you can sum it up in four acts. Anyone asks you if you want to understand it yourself? Four acts. Creation. The fall. Rescue. And restoration. Four acts. That's the story. Creation. God made all things good. And he drew in humanity. Made Adam and Eve. Human race. And he made it very good. We screwed it up. There was a fall from grace. Because we decided to go off script. We decided to utter different lines. We decided to make up our own stage directions. We went the other way. So God had to do something about it. So there was a rescue that was already in place because he knew what we were going to do. There was a rescue when his own son came and died for us to stand in our place, to represent us before God, and represent God before us and died for our sin. There was a rescue. And now we're in the midst of a restoration until one day there will be a complete, full realisation of that restoration. Creation, full, rescue, restoration. That is the great big story. And we're going to watch that story on the screen because someone else can tell the story far better than I can. If someone could just grab the lights. And if we can just close this curtain, please, John, that'd be lovely. Shall we watch this story in four acts? Is it on mute? Yeah, I'll just re- rewind it. That'd be lovely.
There is only one story that answers life's most essential questions and gives a lasting sense of purpose and meaning. It's the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story that defines every one of us. This is that story. How did it all begin? Like all stories, this one begins in the beginning with the author, who is God. He spoke everything into being. With a word, galaxies appeared with stars and planets. Earth was designed for life to flourish. Everything God made was gloriously good and breathtakingly perfect. The highlight of God's creation was the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God entrusted everything he created to his beloved children, giving just one rule. They were not to eat fruit from a specific tree. They lived in loving obedience, worshiping God as their heavenly father and enjoying perfect harmony with creation, each other, and God. Considering our world today, its obvious perfect peace didn't last. Turmoil, war, sickness, troubles. We each have our share. What went wrong? It started when a fallen angel named Satan grew jealous of God and determined to ruin the perfection of creation. Satan took the form of a serpent and enticed Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and rebel against his one rule. In disobedience, they ate the fruit and peace unraveled, ushering in sin and death, which still plagues us today. If we are honest, we are very much like Adam and Eve. We all rebel against our Heavenly Father, making our hearts heavy with fear, guilt, and shame. Our bodies are weary with sickness, disease, and death. Earth is afflicted with storms, calamities, and disasters. Even worse, sin has separated us from God, causing a permanent divide, a miserable separation called hell. The fallout of sin has been catastrophic. It's inescapable with no way to fix it, leaving us all to wonder, is there any hope? The love that prompted God to create us also prompted him to send a savior who would set everything right again. As centuries passed, God shared exact details of the coming savior's birth, life, and death. Everything in the Bible points to this rescuer. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as God the Son to fulfill the promise. He was born miraculously, as his mother was a virgin. Just like us, Jesus grew up and experienced life on earth. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned and always obeyed the Father. When Jesus was in his 30s, he began teaching all around Israel, pointing people to God's kingdom and performing many miracles. After a few years, he was wrongly accused and sentenced to an agonizing death on a cross. Jesus lovingly gave up his perfect life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind. He died a perfect death, taking our place, the innocent for the guilty. But the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days later, God brought Jesus to life again. Jesus defeated sin by dying on the cross and defeated death by rising from the dead. Today, Jesus sits at God's right hand as king and judge over all creation. This is the story of rescue God has authored. 
He invites us, through repentance and faith, to make His story of rescue the one we trust in and live from. When we do, everything changes. And now, what will the future hold? For everyone who trusts in Jesus alone for rescue, God has promised to restore your heart and set you free from sin's hold. Because God is loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, tender-hearted, and true. God has also promised to make all things new. One day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, forever free from sin. Everything that causes pain and sadness will be gone. God has also promised to be with us forever. The moment you trust in Jesus, your relationship with God is restored because Jesus has closed the divide sin caused. Getting to know this all-loving God starts today and continues forever. For God's story never ends. You can make God's story the foundation of your life even now by admitting your need for God's rescue, asking forgiveness for your sin, trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you, following Jesus in faith from this moment on. This is God's story. Will you make it yours? We have a choice of what story we live according to. Just before I end, I just want to go back to some verses before the two we read from Hebrews 12. There was a therefore, wasn't there? Should we find out why? Hebrews 11. Let's see some people who chose to live not according to their story, but according to his. Hebrews 11, verse 9. There's loads here, we won't read it all. But verse 9 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Did he ever find that city? Not in his life, no. But he lived according to that story. Jump to verse 13. These, these people, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, refused to be defined by his story. Notice that. But choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then jump to halfway through verse 35. There's a whole list of people who lived uh, according to their faith in Christ, but the things they faced. Halfway through verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that it might rise again to, better life, to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, they understood they were part of something bigger. They refused to be defined by their own story, but by his which then, again, we can now read the first two verses of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. That can be sin that's happened to you, can be circumstances, that can be restrictions, that can be weaknesses, and sin which clings so closely, your own sin. Temptation we have to fight. We're in a battle, aren't we? lay these things aside and let us run with endurance the race, the journey, the story that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith the author and completer of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God Christ is the author he entered his own story He came down amongst us. He entered his own story and he didn't consider his time here to be self-contained. He didn't even live according to that story. He lived according to the greater story which gave him purpose for why he was here. And he struggled with it. You see in Gethsemane. You see on the cross. It didn't come easy. He wasn't hanging on the cross with a wink going, it's all right lads, I've got this. He was suffering. And yet he did it for the joy that was set before him. And so the same for us. I'll ask those questions again. Are you allowing yourself to be defined by your story or by his? Is God a bit player in your life? Is he just an extra? Is he an add-on? Is he an extension? Are you the main protagonist? Or is he the author that you trust and love and spend time with? Good to look to Jesus, our author, isn't it? Shall we sing a song before I pray? We're going to sing Blessed Assurance. An old classic.